This is Main Street on Prairie Public. I'm Craig Blumenshine. Ashley, it is Thursday. Hello. My co-host Ashley Thornburg is with us in the studio today. It's been a fun week. I think so. It still seems like spring and I just know we're going to get slammed. And, and <laughs> no, again, shush. That's not a thing. I don't want to talk about the weather all the time, but this is just too nice. Ashley, in the second half of today's show, we have our traditional Thursday, I would call it. We have a review of the news with Dave Thompson, our news director, and a movie that I really want to see is reviewed by Matt Olin. It's called Perfect Days, and it's set in Tokyo. It's about a gentleman who loves his simple life. There'll be more on that later. But first, the aroma, the heat, the way the flavors dance on the tongue. (sighs) There's really nothing quite like a good cup of coffee or tea. And today we look at the art of preparing these magical elixirs with Pasteur Mudende, the owner of Chaimoto in South Fargo. It's a major expansion for him from the early days of Chaimoto when Mudende operated a mobile booth at the Red River Market. But the idea for this store goes back a lot longer. All I can remember is... When I was younger, grew up in Nairobi. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a nice coffee shop slash cafe called Nairobi Java House. And every time I went there on the weekend, it gave me a feeling that I wanted to to explore more, and it made me want to uh, basically be part of uh, of the coffee world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't drink much coffee, so we drank much teas, but the aromas from coffee and the environment, it kind of really stuck to me. I, I got very attached to the cafe, the Nairobi Java House, but eventually basically the idea kind of kept on growing and growing. And uh, I couldn't tell you the day that I decided I was going to open a coffee shop, but just I just knew I wanted to be part of it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because you're actually an artist. Yes, yes. Um, I'm a visual you, artist. I'm okay. a painter. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I do believe that art came and played a role mm. in how I basically designed the space. Oh. What do you mean by that? And I'll tell you my experience walking in as a consumer. Mm-hmm. I, I am floored by how it feels spacious and intimate at the same time. Yes. How did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea how anything <laughs> happened, uh, just like anything is that you start with one piece and and then you get another one and another and eventually everything um, fits together so well so perfectly but all the art pieces that i have here it's basically a collection of my art pieces most of the stuff that's on the wall i collected when i was traveling back home to africa rwanda malawi ethiopia yeah, so I collected all these pieces knowing that I was going to put them in a coffee shop someday. Really? Yes. You knew a coffee shop? Uh, yes, I knew I was going to put them in a coffee shop someday. It gave me an excuse to, to basically to spend money. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, ah, it's for the business. That sure. did not exist at the that time. That did not exist. It yeah. existed in your soul. Pastor. Yes. Can you walk us through kind of the main differences between some of the most common tea traditions? Like, how would a Japanese tea 
preparation be different from you know how the how they would maybe make it in it's more of a communal thing. Mm. So it's something that they share with a group of people. If you look at the J Japanese tea ceremonies, mm -hmm. um, they sit together and there's one person making tea, mm -hmm. uh, steeping it, adding hot water mm -hmm. and serving uh, everyone around and them. And they have to bow to go in the door they so have, everybody's yes. humble. So everybody's humble. Um, so it's more of a ceremony. Yeah. Um, my my business also offers tea because uh, the, the teas that we like we serve matcha tea because it has become very popular and there's a lot of demand for it. Uh, however, when I, when I got into tea, I, when I wanted to serve tea here, not that I got into tea, when I tried to serve tea here, um, I noticed that there was a lot of mystery surrounding tea. There was a lot of complications surrounding tea. So I felt that the general population, especially in America, mm -hmm. um, they were a little bit intimidated into going to tea because because <laughs> yeah. it's just a Lipton tea bag. Uh, in oh yeah, so the, it's boiling the, water. In boiling water. <laughs> but if you wanted to get loose leaf tea, and then you get all these special instructions, uh, eighty-six degrees. Yeah. One teaspoon. Yeah, I didn't. It. I didn't yeah. like green tea until yeah. it was made for me in a tea house. Because yes, I was always oversteeping the yeah until yeah. daylights out of that poor leaf. Yeah, so there's a there's a little actually there's a little thing about tea. Hmm. You would like it more if you share it with a group of people. Hmm. Yes, it tastes different than when you make it for yourself and just drink it. Um, so if you ever had a tea that you thought mm, like I don't like the flavor mm -hmm. but if you had it in a communal way it changes on how you perceive the, mm. the flavors of the tea and then it grows mm. on you and all of a sudden you become sure. a no long tea person <laughs> huh. however in, in my own way of serving tea I wanted to make it simpler okay. I felt like it was complicated I felt uh, as I feel like people thought tea was complicated. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's a little bit of complications. There's a few things that you can, a uh, few brewing guides that you can follow. Mm -hmm. um, however, I always encourage people to brew it in their own way, mm -hmm. in their own home, and explore. And eventually, you'll find the right way to brew tea for yourself. I grew up drinking tea. Mm -hmm. It was delicious. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. And I, no one, my mother never had a timer mm. or a thermometer to measure the temperature of water. Right? Um, Some people cook by intuition. Yes, it was by intuition. And then you can learn that too. It's not that difficult. Yeah. Um, and so in a way, uh, here, I created this space basically to almost uh, liberate tea a little bit. Yeah, let it let people enjoy it the way you want. So the, uh, I feel like I feel as though tea was put in a certain box. Yeah. And we wanted right. to, to like get it out. If of the you're box. not putting your pinky up in the air. Yeah, if when you're not you're putting your you're, you're not doing tea. it right. Yeah, not doing it right. Yeah. <laughs> right, which is a real, real problem. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So wow. um, yeah, and also obviously we serve uh, delicious coffee mm -hmm. uh, here as well. Yeah. I yeah. love this logo, by the way. Can you tell me a little bit about the logo? Did you come up with that? I worked with a, an artist. Basically, 
yeah, we, yeah, we kept on going back and forth um, on the design. Yeah. Uh, so it's an image of a female, uh, of a lady. Uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, geometrical shapes and designs mm -hmm. that kind of uh, represented the geometrical shapes and design you see in London art, mm -hmm. uh, as well as um, the uh, the headgear that that she's wearing it was inspired basically by um, a Muslim head. Is that your faith background? No, it's not my faith background. Okay. It's because we from, we're from East Africa. Uh, both faiths do mingle very freely. Okay. Uh, our Muslim neighbors celebrated Christmas with us. We celebrated Ramadan okay. with them, and so. Um, and so we grew up just uh, knowing that somebody's faith didn't have, uh, it wasn't something to be afraid of mm. or to run mm -hmm. away from. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, the, the feeling that I get from looking at this, this is a woman who exudes power yeah. and would never use it to harm. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm glad <laughs> you say that. Yeah. There's just, there's, there's a, a yes. softness in the eyes that she would only Yes. Use it to bring more beauty into the world or something. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Yes. Let's have a tea. You've prepared a, a rooibos tea for me and a coffee for you. So rooibos, is this, this is an herb, right? This, is, this would be caffeine free? Yes, it would be caffeine okay. free. So rooibos is a herb. Uh, it uh, originated from South Africa. Okay. Um, it, it's uh, one of the best substitutes for black tea. Uh, it okay. has almost a similar flavor profiles, but it's more. It has more earthy tones mm. and caramel tones. It smells so good. Yes. So the ones you, you the one you're drinking right now, it's it's a blend. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a Royal Boys Chai blend. Mm. Did uh, you come up with the blend, or do you order blends? I blend the all the teas here. You uh, make all the blends. You make all the blends. Yes. Yeah. Uh, because the world of tea is as expansive as you can imagine um you yes you can you can basically uh think of a flavor and figure out a way to achieve it and you will make it so wow yeah so walk me through your design process in, in coming up with your blend the flavors the the, the the spices that we added in this tea, uh, mm. they are not the spices that just I came up with. It's a very popular drink, mm -hmm. chai masala. Sure. Um, it's a tea that, the spices is basically, it's a spice, it's a tea blend that originated from India. Mm -hmm. And they combine ginger, uh, cloves, and cardamom. It's very warming. It's very warming, and yeah. some cinnamon. Uh, okay. And those are the main popular uh, spices that we add into into tea to create um, a masala tea. Okay. So I have added some uh, pink peppercorns here, and sometimes I'll add some white pink peppercorns. peppercorns. Okay. Yeah. And then so there's pink peppercorns, there's some white peppercorns, which are more spicier or uh, kick. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I add those into the tea as well. So you you can play around with the flavors. You can add vanilla to add the, the warmth. Okay. Yeah, it does. It does taste a little like a mulled apple cider. 
I'm surprised yes. by that because there's no Apple. There's no Apple. So the one, this. yeah, and then this one, it's, it's testing almost uh, like a cider because I added a lime in your tea. A lime. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So what does the citrus do in this? First of all, adding citrus into tea, there's a lot of people who love it and real tea connoisseurs oh, will will advise against adding any type of citrusy or lemon into your tea. <laughs> Uh, because it would change the flavor, basically mm. it will break down the flavor and you will get something else. So you get a whole new mm. flavor. Um, however, you know, most of us, the thing is, we grew up drinking tea with the citrus mm -hmm. when you had a cold. Oh, sure. Right, and yeah. and then we ended up enjoying the tea. So, so, <laughs> so you so just you do, so you just drink it like that every it tastes day. Tastes a little like home. Yeah, it tastes a little like you. home. Yeah. Okay. So I've added. I have a. I offer uh, a lime, a lemon, or orange with the mm. teas. Some some different types of teas, mm -hmm. um, depending on the on on the blend of tea and uh, and the person to the personality and how long you're gonna let it sit. Uh, so, for instance, if you are to get a green tea, oolong, or I have some jasmine powell tea mm. and some black teas, if you let it steep a little bit longer, you start getting the tannins and then tea can get a little bit bitter. Oh, okay. Um, and the a citrus flavor basically will help, uh, it will overshadow the bitterness of okay. the tea. Uh, so sometimes if somebody's sitting longer and they're waiting for the tea, yeah. or sometimes they don't drink it as quick uh, as they should, yeah. I just offer it uh, as a little. Yeah, as a little, and then mm. yeah, offer it if you want it. And there's some people who just want it there already. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and it's okay. What's, uh, what's... I always say it's okay. as long as you like, you enjoy your drink, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's the hardest tea to prepare? I'm a procrastinator. Okay. Uh, which is a bad... As an artist, I'm as a, shocked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I do everything last minute. And when I started making teas, uh, at the time I was selling uh, iced teas at the farmer's market, mm. I would basically blend the teas the night before. Oh, wow. And I had a whole week to prepare. <laughs> so, <laughs> so very quickly, yeah. I've learned just by looking at what's in the blend just by looking at it i know that okay this might need a little bit more cinnamon mm. or it might mm -hmm. need just by the way i look at it so i don't even have uh written recipes okay. for blending teas which is one of my to-do list so that my staff <laughs> will help me yeah. blend the teas yeah yeah so, a, if you get sick yeah you, you gotta get, keep on you gotta get, yes absolutely yeah, yeah. Um, and I also joked around that most of the time, uh, my team might test slightly a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I blend it almost every few days. Right. I blend a new batch, and mm. and uh, I might uh, that week I might be into more ginger, and then the next sure. week I might be less into. But it, we don't know. I, I try to keep it as consistent as I could. Mm -hmm. I, Do you make seasonal teas? Absolutely, there's teas that really work well in, in colder season and teas that work well in mm -hmm. in hot season that you want sure. that you could drink uh, over ice mm. um, but I have one of my favorite my favorite teas that 
I, uh, I drink hot or iced mm -hmm. is the hibiscus tea. Our hibiscus tea blend Not is really, really, really delicious when it's yeah. over ice. Okay. And it's really, it's even more delicious when hot. So it's my favorite blend. Hmm. Uh, the other blend that I really think, uh, I felt like I stumbled upon it by just playing around with flavor is chamomile tea, mm. the chamomile blend that I have. So we, I use uh, Egyptian chamomile flowers. I add a little oh. bit of lemongrass and uh, some cinnamon. And so it's basically not your typical chamomile. If I had even a local not aquatic chamomile, I'd love to use it. <laughs> mm. um, but, but yeah, but chamomile has a very uh, soothing warmth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Where do you source your ingredients? I just source them all over. So um, any particular tea blend has at least four different uh, either herbs or spices. Wow. So they all come from all around the world. You have have uh, oolong tea from China. I have some milk oolong. I believe it's from Taiwan. Mm. I have some cinnamon uh, from India. There's a tea blend that I use a lot of uh, vanilla beans in it, mm -hmm. and so yes, yeah, so everything comes from all over the right. all over the world, wherever the um, plant is. Not. But also, there's there are things that you can always find here readily in America, like mm -hmm. cinnamon. You can buy cinnamon sticks everywhere and and crush sure. them and then add them into your tea. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Cool. How's it going owning a business? <laughs> it's the opposite side of the brain as all the artistic stuff you do. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea what you're doing half of the time. Hmm. That's, that's, what I, that's what I feel like I'm behind, like hmm. 10 months behind every day. Uh, and you've been day. open for two months? <laughs> yes, and I've been, for two, I've been open for two months. <laughs> Great. Uh, yeah, it's anxiety-inducing, um, but at the same time, it's very, very exciting. Yeah. Every day, you go home uh, feeling proud, feeling like you, you had a win. So, so it's really good. And then every day you go to bed looking forward uh, to the next day. Um, so, well, I'll cheers to that. Yes. Do you ever uh, cheers with tea? Yes, you can cheers with okay. tea. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. cheers to that. <laughs> yeah. Why is it called Chai Moto? Mm. So coming up with a business name, I do feel like actually that's one of the hardest things to do, unless you wanted to name it after yourself. It took me quite some time. I think I had so many names uh, on paper for as long as I've, I've known. For as long as I've known I wanted to own a coffee shop or a tea place, I've, I've always had names. However, it, on the day I wanted to register the business, somehow, somewhere, I I don't know if it's my brain. I was thinking in Swahili, or <laughs> the words Chai Moto came into in, into my head. Yeah. It's like a bell went off, and uh, basically Chai is means tea in most part of the world. In Kinyarwanda is Ichai. Ichai, okay. Uh, in Swahili is also Chai, um, and Moto is Swahili for fire or heart. So if you want hot tea, you can say Nataka Chai Moto. Oh, okay. So just basically, it will loosely translate to 
hot tea or fire tea. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this tea is fire. This tea is yeah. Really, yeah. Hmm. That's wonderful. My main goal for having this space, for designing this space, is I wanted to have a place where people from the community can come mm -hmm. and and visit with each other and hang out and talk and have a connection. Mm. Um, I wanted people to stay off their screens. Uh, I wanted people to have a human connection. That's true. I don't see anyone on a phone here. You always find people here basically having conversations mm. and they tend to have long conversations. Yeah. So um, people spend here an average of an hour uh, and there's no food. Yeah. It's just tea and coffee and just great conversation. Uh, uh, I believe the, the, the environment is in a way soothing enough to, to, to want to connect mm -hmm. and, and learn from each other. I've met so many amazing people walking in here very smart individuals, uh, people who are so excited to come here for tea, fellow tea enthusiasts mm. who, who live in this area that I did not know they existed. <laughs> um, a lot of people don't like to admit that they like sugar, mm -hmm. but they want it. They want sugar. In, they, want sugar. <laughs> <laughs> they want sugar in their teas. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, it's uh, I always find there's always a couple of people who come in and they say, I want, I just want this tea. I just want it like that. Please don't add any sugar. Don't ruin it for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, and it's really amazing uh, because they like the tea blends. They like the flavors. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's no sugar in this and it's, yes. it's delicious. I yes. feel taken care of in drinking this tea. Oh, yes. Wonderful. A lot of customers come in here and they don't look at the menu yeah. to just say whatever he made me last time and then the employers are like what did he make you last time and then they have to come find me <laughs> oh, no. No. and then i, then I just yeah. have to go through a series of uh, of interrogation what did i make you what did you how did it taste like i'm like okay now i remember so because oh, wow. sometimes i don't remember what i made you last time yeah. Is um, that how your art process works at all? Do you do you kind of go into like a just a state like when you're painting? Yes, when you paint, you kind of have an end an end picture in mind, mm. but it's not clear, mm. and you don't know it until until you get there, mm. until until you get to a point you're like, okay, now this a painting basically this reveals itself to you. Mm. Um, you think you have it in your head, but you didn't, right? So it it just works itself out. It's almost as though it's talking to you, it's telling you, "Hey, hey I want this. I want this color here." Mm -hmm. You never know what color works. Uh, you can try to think about it and focus and be stubborn, but if you just let your intuition guide you, and something mm. basically it, let, it comes up by itself. Um, and so has the way I've been making some of the, half the tablets that I recommend just add hot water and drink. Mm -hmm. But like the one I made you basically, I, I added that lime for, but everybody I've ever made this drink. So I don't like making it because they never order anything else. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. 
That was Pastor Mudende, the owner of Chaimoto in South Fargo. His tea blends are for sale online at chaimoto.com. Still to come on Main Street, a thoughtful movie about finding joy and my news discussion with Dave Thompson. That's after this. Welcome back to Main Street on Prairie Public on this Thursday. In just a moment, Matt Oline will review Perfect Days, and Dave Thompson joins us now for our weekly news review day. This is a movie that I really want to see. It's about a man who's content with his simple life of just cleaning toilets in Tokyo, and it really helps us, I think, or will help us understand finding the beauty in just everyday moments and a richness of a seemingly mundane experience. So I think this will be a good one. We'll see what Matt has to say about coming up. Looking forward to that for sure. But now, yes, let's review the news for the week. Dave, there is some political news that we want to get to right out of the gate. For sure. Lieutenant Governor Tammy Miller's announced for governor. Right. And she announced via email and she's got two online ads that have started running. They probably will run on you know, paid media sometime probably in the next day or two. She's tying her campaign to that of Governor Burgum and to President Trump. So you know where that's going, basically saying we're entrepreneurs. We we believe in entrepreneurs. We believe in local, or I should say, personal responsibility, that type of thing. So it's an interesting, it's a well-done ad. I'll, I'll tell you that, that, that the ads were well done. Does she have a legacy, Dave, of her time as lieutenant governor? Well, it's not a long legacy, let's put it that way. But still, you know, she's got a few things. The governor has basically said that he want he wants her to run. So we'll we'll watch this because he'll have some pretty good money and some good advice to give to her as she runs. Julie Fedorchuk is running for Congress. Tell us about her. Now, this is interesting, and I have to talk about this as somebody who has covered politics since, you know, the Dead Sea was just becoming sick. <laughs> we have a case in Julie Fedorchek, who has announced, and she did file her, her paperwork with the Federal Election Commission, but she's having a news conference, which these days seems to be kind of rare. You can get interviews. I, I, I cannot fault uh, the candidates for that. But I think the strategy is to get through social media and to get your announcements out that way. But Julie Fedorchek is actually going to have a, a formal announcement in front of cameras and microphones. That will be interesting and fun for you to cover, I'll bet. Yes. Judge Wade Webb in Fargo is considering a congressional run you've learned. I have learned, and it was from my friend Jim Monk over at KVRR Television. His folks had heard something, and they did talk to Judge Webb, and Webb said, yeah, he's been approached, and he is interested, and he's exploring his options for running for Congress. If he does, it will be Julie Fedorchek, Wade Webb, and apparently Wade Webb will, will seek it through the, through the convention process, at least that's what I'm hearing. And, of course, you've got Tom Campbell, who's running for Congress, and you have Rick Becker, who's running for Congress. So... It makes an already interesting Republican state convention even more so. Rick Becker will not be on the ballot at the convention. He has to go and run in the primary because he ran as an independent, and the Republicans have a rule that if you run as an independent, you have to wait six years before you can run as a Republican. So there's a lot of intrigue in this political season, let's just put it that way. Dave, when is the state convention? It's coming up. April 5th and 6th, and unfortunately... Or fortunately, if you want to put it this way, both parties are holding their convention the same weekend in the same city. Fargo. And that would be Fargo. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I know your team is gearing up for coverage. Oh, boy, are we ever. Let's turn the page to the legislature, Dave. 
The committee is working on measures to guard against foreign adversaries buying land and assets in North Dakota. And of course, this stems from a story from Grand Forks, I believe. Right. It was Fufeng, which is uh, apparently is a Chinese group that has some ties to the Chinese government. They wanted to build a corn milling plant in Grand Forks, bought some land. But there was some concern because the Grand Forks Air Force Base is right there. And there was a thing called CFS, which is a committee look at foreign investment. And CFS said it didn't have the capability to stop this. But the Air Force raised an objection, and therefore the project has been stopped and scrapped. So what they're trying to do in North Dakota is see if they could put something in law which will make it easier to find out if these companies are coming into North Dakota and then stop them before there is a problem with concerns about the Chinese Communist Party, for example, or maybe the North Koreans. An interesting discussion that's going to be worth following as they try to draft some legislation for the upcoming legislative session. Dave, Katie David, who's a reporter that who works with you, had a story about something I'm worried about, and this is about sports betting addiction now affecting young North Dakotans. Right. That's a real issue, and that's why the university system has come out very strongly about trying to discourage sports betting, and sports betting is getting easier and easier to do. You can do it online. You can do it, you know, via your phone now. They're just saying that they're worried that teens and early 20s are people are going to say, hey, let's bet. You have a small bet on something, and then it leads to more bets and leads to addiction. So there is a real concern in North Dakota about that. Just an anecdotal story, Dave. I went to baseball's all-star game last year when it was in Denver. At the home run derby in front of me, one row in front of me, was this gentleman who was putting 100 bucks on every hitter who came to the plate in real time. And he was almost going crazy about whether they got this many home runs or that or beat the person they were competing against. And I thought, he's just missing the essence of what's happening here. Right. Because he's he's really addicted to his betting. Certainly wasn't the first time I'm sure that he had done that. So this is this is very interesting to me. Colleges and pro leagues have it both ways here. They kind of don't like sports betting, but boy, do they love the revenue that they see coming from sports betting. So this will be an interesting story to follow. I think it's going to be very interesting. But I think you make a good point, Craig, because sometimes you forget about the beauty of just watching these people compete. And then you're just worried about ah, the point spread and things like that. So, I know how the competition is in our family survivor league. Dave, there's a meeting coming up of the school funding task force. It's next right. Wednesday. They're going to discuss a couple of interesting topics. One, they're going to receive a transportation study from the University of North Dakota. And then also mm-hmm. talk about transportation. But also, there'll be a presentation by a West Fargo Public Schools business manager regarding the impact of the elimination of property tax on K-12 education. There is a major concern among educators and also among county and city governments about the elimination of property taxes. One person who put it to me very well happens to be a county official. She says, you know, we don't necessarily like property taxes going up, but it's the only way that we see to have a stable funding for fire departments, schools, police departments, things like that, streets, curbs and gutters in cities. And they didn't like the idea that they'd have to go, if that that was eliminated, they'd have to go and compete with everybody else holding out their hand at the legislature. That, I thought, was an extremely interesting comment. And this, this is going to be bearing watching before they get to see, A, if the group that's circulating the petition will get enough signatures to get it on the ballot. 
I'm kind of thinking they will, but the campaign and how that's going to be run, because there's a, it's going to take about a little over $2 billion to replace that revenue over a biennium. And you can just see on the face of it, people saying, sure, let's eliminate property taxes. Let's just- Yeah, but it's more complicated than that. It really is. So that'll be an interesting story to follow. Todd McDonald, another reporter, Dave, in your group, reported on an interesting story that the suspension is now ending for a UND music therapy program. That was interesting when that was originally suspended because of budget cuts. There was a lot of hue and cry from the medical community in North Dakota saying music therapy does work, you know, in, in cases of treating things like depression, loneliness, things like that. Music therapy does work. And now they're reinstating it because things are looking up a little bit, enrollments going up in the states, colleges, and universities, and they're seeing this as an opportunity as a renewed major, if you want, to get that program back up and running. Dave, officials now are defending the North Dakota Legacy Fund. Others are claiming mission drift. First, remind us, Dave, what the Legacy Fund is. The Legacy Fund basically takes some of the oil taxes and puts it into an interest-bearing account, which is invested. And the idea is it's supposed to be around when oil dries up. It's going to be, you know, helping North Dakota into the future. That was that was the stated purpose. But there are groups who want investments now, at least if they can, from the earnings of the Legacy Fund. But they're also talking about maybe getting into the Legacy Fund. But if you want to dig into the Legacy Fund right now, it takes a certain amount. I think it's three-fifths, at least two-thirds or maybe three-fifths of the legislature has to approve it. Then it has to be approved by a governor's signature. But there have been talks of, about uh, an amusement park in Jamestown to, you know, use some of the money for that, or maybe doing some things in the Badlands, things like that. But really, you have to go back to when it was passed and, and look at the measure itself and what the general overview is. And that's where the issue has gone. Is it going to be something that you can use now, or you do you, should you wait and keep it as a rainy day fund when the oil dries up? So there will be more discussion about this probably coming up in the upcoming legislative session, Dave. Next There's year. no doubt about that. It has been discussed every year since it's passed. All right, Dave, what are you working on, you and your staff? Well, it's going to be interesting because we're trying to get some idea about how things are shaping up for the races, trying to get a hold of some people, you know, to do interviews and things like that. Um, I am following up on a story that I had this week about the lack of prosecutors in North Dakota. It's larger than prosecutors. They've got the help wanted sign out, for example, in Burley County, and they're talking about some kind of financial incentives to get people to come to work for the state's attorney's office to become prosecutors. But it's a larger issue. We have a shortage of lawyers, period, in North Dakota. And apparently there's going to be a meeting next week to talk about maybe some particular solutions maybe some payback of tuition, et cetera. If you go to one of the smaller communities and you work as a lawyer, that there are programs like that in the past for certain doctors and things like that. So it will be interesting to see what happens and what the committee is going to recommend. We review the news weekly with Dave Thompson, the legend, our news director. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. You are so welcome, Craig. Madeline, with his movie review of Perfect Days, this is one I want to see. That's next. Stay with us. Oh, 
When you hear the fanfare, that means it's time to go off to the movies with our resident movie critic, Matt Olin. Matt, a film that on the surface is about a life of simple contentment, but I suspect it's a, it's about complex relationships, too. It is. It, it's kind of about anguish and loss and routine and things like that. Uh, Perfect days. Yeah, by Wim Wenders. He is a veteran German filmmaker. He was part of the new German cinema movement uh, years ago when they were all West German. Uh, Werner Herzog, uh, Wim Wenders, Reiner Werner Fassbinder. And he has had a long career, Wenders has. Uh, His most famous films are probably Paris, Texas and Wings of Desire, also The American Friend with Dennis Hopper. And he's been able to work in German language, English language, and now Japanese. He has gone to Japan to direct a very famous Japanese actor by the name of Koji Akasha, who plays Hirayama. And he does. He cleans toilets for a living. That is basically his, his profession. And so it's one of these films, I would say, Ashley, that's kind of about nothing but about everything. And you're right. I did not want it to end when it ended. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like broken into three or four different parts as he encounters uh, encounters different people uh, throughout his toilet cleaning. He he t- spends his days uh, cleaning toilets, but also listening to rock and roll on cassettes in his car and taking <laughs> photographs. And sometimes he will sleep at night and you'll have these dream sequences of these photographs he's taken of, of plants and trees and things mm-hmm. like that. And those are wonderfully done. Wenders is a perfectionist, I would say, or a practitioner of what we call slow cinema. So his movies do have a leisurely pace to them. I want to let people know that when they watch this movie. His films are typically about outcasts, oddball characters, and that is certainly Hirayama in this movie. He meets oddball characters. He's He works with a guy cleaning toilets who's kind of a hasn't got his act together. The guy's girlfriend shows up. She loves listening to his cassettes uh, as well. His niece shows up at one point in the movie who's run away from home. So he's got all these little connections to people. He doesn't say much, but it's all in his face, and he gives a wonderful performance. Um, he got the Best Actor Award at the Cannes Film Festival. There's some great shots in this, movies, in this movie, Ashley. Uh, there's a particular shot, I won't say where it is in the movie, where the camera just stays on his face for an uncomfortably long time. Mm. And in that time that the camera's on his face, he expresses joy, anguish, depression, all the emotions come come through in his face. So uh, it's it's a short film. Uh, it's a good film. It's a typical Vim Wenders film. Uh, love the dream sequence. And uh, there, there's just kind of this, this sense of the routine of life and what is the routine of life. And mm. It's not an action film. You're not going to get a car chase or anything like that. Uh, but he does, He, you know, Wenders again shows that he can direct in any kind of language, any mm. medium. That's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a young lady that shows up yes. in the film and, and in the trailer, so no spoilers there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it feels a little like a fatherly relationship. Is that a fair assessment? That is a fair assessment. Okay. She loves his cassettes. Uh, she <laughs> wants to know how they work. You know, these are these are uh, prehistoric things in, in modern <laughs> life. No I, I, I've, I've got a lot that. of cassettes still sitting around. <laughs> you do. Uh, a lot of cassettes. And Have you ever given a teenager a cassette and a pencil and then just yeah, had, see how you can no do this? Yes, what to do no with those idea. Two things together. But that that's a nice relationship. The relationship he has with his niece when she shows up is really good as well. 
but it's really about him. It's about uh, Koji Yakosho's performance as Hiriyama. And I think this is, if, 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 if people out there listening have seen a Wenders film like Paris, Texas, Wings of Desire, Far Away So Close, The American Friend, this will remind them of those movies, these outcasts and oddballs in life. And yeah, it is kind of this slow cinema that he kind of has perfected over the years. But I didn't want it to end, curiously enough. And you kept waiting for something of importance to happen. And, and important things do happen in the movie, but it's about all of our lives. It's about that routine that we cling to. And when that routine gets upset, people mm. do not like that. <laughs> and there's a few scenes like that as well. But I would recommend this film. Not really in theaters right now. I did see a screener. Check your streaming to see if it's on there as well. It is nominated for the Best International Feature uh, Oscar. So uh, Vim Benders will be there at the Academy uh, on that night. I don't think it's going to win. I think Zone of Interest is going to win that award. But I did like this movie a lot. Do we get a sense, does the director speak Japanese? Was he having Japanese advisors on this? Or, or was it really just so, he, so much in I, I'm the, not in the sure face? about that, but I know he was he was he was kind of drawn to this story, and it was basically four short stories. And I think they initially thought he would come to Japan and direct some short films, and he decided to turn it into a feature. And he wow. took on this challenge of directing a Japanese actor in the Japanese language. I can't even imagine doing that, but obviously um, I'm guessing there had to be some sort of translator uh, for Vim Wenders. Uh, don't know if he speaks Japanese, but he's a very worldly man. As I said, he's directed in, in several different languages now, so... Interesting that he, he, he stretched it out into a feature movie. <laughs> well, you mentioned that it is the official submission from Japan for the International mm-hmm. Feature Oscar consideration. Uh, Japan has won this a couple of times uh, and a couple of honorary awards, too. Go through the list for us. So uh, Rashomon, 1951, and I believe that was an honorary award. I don't, mm-hmm. know, I don't know that there were other nominees that year. They just gave it to Rashomon. I know Kurosawa directed Dursu Yuzala, which won in 1975, but I think that was with a Russian company, so that's probably not an answer. Drive My Car recently uh, won, and then I don't mm-hmm. know the other one. What's the other one? In 2008, Departures. Departures, yes, yes. And yes. then there's a couple other uh, um, uh, honorary awards uh, in 1954 and oh, in 1955. Gate of Hell would be 54, and then um, Harp of Burma? No, is that, no I have Nope. Oh, Samurai. Samurai, The Legend of Musashi? Musashi, yep. All right. That's it. We've been to the movies with Matt Oline. This is Main Street on Prairie Public. I'm Craig Blumenshine in studio with Ashley Thornburg. Hello. Ashley, do you know one thing that my native state, Wyoming, has in common with North Dakota? Mm, mountains? Yeah, you're going to say I'm mountains. just wishful thinking. No! <laughs> but we do share the same state bird. Oh, the western meadowlark. The western meadowlark, oh, yes, okay. as do for other western states, as we'll hear in this bird note. This is Bird Note. Think a moment. What is your state bird? All 50 states and the District of Columbia declare official birds. Most were chosen many decades back. To run as top candidate for state bird in those days, it helped to be familiar, boldly colorful, and have a punchy song. 
the defiantly red, sweetly singing northern cardinal perches as state bird in seven eastern states. The sunny yellow western meadowlark sings its liquid phrases for six western states. Bluebirds and goldfinches flash primary colors for another seven. And the northern mockingbird, the country's most insistent songster, holds down five states. So it is the exceptions to the loud and colorful that stand out. New Mexico elected the Greater Roadrunner, a quirky emblem of the Southwest. But the most ironic choice comes from the District of Columbia, the most raucous and unsubtle venue of all. They chose the wood thrush, a shy bird of forest shadows with a voice approaching high art. For Bird Note, I'm Mary McCann. This is Dakota Datebook for February 15th. On this date in 1977, the Baha'i Congregation of Minot announced that they would hold an informational meeting to inform the public of their views and beliefs. In the 1960s and 70s, the religion of Baha'i made its way from Iran to North Dakota. This spread is exactly what the faith's founder, Baha'u'llah, wanted. He saw what his followers called utmost importance of oneness in the international community at a time when advances in technology brought people ever closer together. Part of this oneness in the mind of Baha'u'llah was the unity of religion. After their entry into North Dakota, the Baha'is faced a somewhat predictable problem. There was a disconnect between the people in North Dakota and the Near Eastern culture that had produced the religion. The North Dakota Baha'is followed a calendar that was 19 months long, practiced daily ritual prayers, and fasted from sunrise to sunset March 2nd through the 21st. These practices were a challenge and not fully understood. This disconnect and general discontent meant that many North Dakotans developed misconceptions about the Baha'i faith. To address this problem, the Baha'i engaged in open discourse with the community. A variety of informational pamphlets were printed by the Baha'is of Bismarck. The aim was to inform the public of their beliefs and their presence in the community. These publications contained their precepts, which were, There is only one God. All religions come from God. Religion must be the cause of unity. All men belong to the same human family. Each person should seek truth for himself. Men and women are equal. All people must be educated. Prejudice of all kinds must be forgotten. And all men must work toward universal peace. Furthermore, followers of Baha'i sent out informational letters along with their pamphlets to members of the community, making themselves available for conversations. Beyond their print outreach, the Baha'is held informational meetings in many towns, allowing the public a chance to speak with their ministers and religious practitioners. The meeting announced by the Baha'i of Minot on this date in 1977 is an example of one such meeting. Today's Dakota Date Book was written by Colby Adderhold. I'm Earl Pepcorn. 
Dakota Datebook is produced in cooperation with the State Historical Society of North Dakota with funding from Humanities North Dakota.